What is the evidence of true spirituality? What is legalism? Why is it dangerous? Why is the Bible necessary for salvation? What is it that makes Christianity the truth and the way against all other religions? Is the church really a place or is it a people? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? How can we know what translation of the Bible is actually correct? Does God want me to be happy? What is John 3.16 really say? What's wrong with the Word of Faith movement? Am I able to ask God for immense wealth? Is there sufficient knowledge for salvation in the Bible? Maybe you've had questions similar to these, or maybe you have a question that needs to be answered. Well, your wait is now over. The weekly podcast of Theology Answers can be your guide to answering questions about Scripture, theology, church history, contextual criticism. Join us as we peel through the pages of Scripture and find the answers that you're looking for. You can find us online at TheologyAnswers.com, and you can ask your questions there. We are a podcast as a part of the Striving for Eternity Christian podcast community. Join us there at strivingforeternity.org. Well, good day. Thank you for listening to Theology Answers. I am James, and with me, my brother, Edward Dalcor, and we are back for another episode. And today, we're going to talk about a very good topic. Of course, we say that every week, brother, that every topic we do is good. But it's good because people come to us and they ask questions. And we also want you to know that you can ask questions. You can go to theologyanswers.com and put a question there on the website, and we will do our best to answer it in podcast or in show uh, in the weeks to come. A couple of weeks, we're going to do an actual Q&A show, like maybe an hour or so, and answer some questions. So if you've got them, please go to theologyanswers.com and put the questions there. And also subscribe and share these podcasts. Don't just enjoy them for yourself, or even if you're a hater, don't just hate them by yourself. Send them out to people that you think may either love them or hate them with you, and we would be much appreciative because the more people who can understand right doctrine, we feel like the better off they will be. So we'll just leave it at that. But today we're going to talk about the topic of human inability, also known as total depravity, or in more contemporary days, we can use the term um, radical corruption. Either way, you want to whatever word you want to use, we actually need to understand what is total inability. What does it mean? And in a nutshell, Edward, I'm going to go ahead and sort of define this, and then you can piggyback on that and define it even even better. But I would define total inability or total depravity as this, that all people are conceived in sin, and therefore, because of that, the whole person, from mind to body to will to desire to everything, is unable to affect any will or decision or effort toward any true righteousness or any true good. And this specifically deals with spiritual matters relating to salvation, to seeking after God, to understanding God, to being at peace with God, etc. And there's a lot more we're going to talk about on the show, but I think in a nutshell, that is sort of what we are calling total depravity. Um, and so, brother, I'll let you, I'll let you chime in. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think this is a very, very in, important topic because it defines the state of where we were before we were saved. And I think I mentioned this before, James. It's very interesting because the Apostle Paul um, repetitiously throughout his, um, the content of his epistles always reminds us where we were 
before we were saved. And it seems to me that most um, or too many Christians, when they're out there evangelizing or even in their personal faith, they're um, really unaware of what they're saved from, right? And so I think total inability and total depravity, but we call it total inability because it means just that the unsaved man is not a bit. He has no ability. He's unable to please God and do spiritually good things. Now he does have the ability to do right. A lot of things he can get up, he can get in his car. He can, he can feed the homeless, right? He can clothe them. He can do those kind of good works before man. He, He can do all kinds of things, but if he's leave him to himself without the intervention of regeneration, he will never have the ability, nor does he want the ability to please God. So it does start with the sovereignty of God and the foundation of total inability, total depravity is really, uh, takes us back to the garden, right? Uh, before the Paul, I'm sorry, before the fall, Adam, as we know, he had two possibilities, right? He had the the ability to sin and the ability not to sin. And then after the fall, he had the ability uh, to sin and the inability not to sin. In other words, no more after the fall of Adam do men now have the ability to um, uh, not to sin. They have the inability to not sin. And that thus we're called, uh, as non-believers, we're called enemies of God, like in Romans 5.10 and so on and so forth. Literally, the enemies there is, is in the passive sense, ekthra. Uh, there's holy hatred that is uh, directed toward man, um, primarily. And then in a secondary um, sense, there's hatred toward God from the unbeliever. But Paul makes that clear in Romans 5.10, when you were enemies of God. But there's passages, and we can uh, further these passages, I think, that really, really um, define and explicate man's state before he was saved. Um, You know, we can talk about a few. And again, I said this at the onset, these doctrines, this doctrine of total inability is not something that's uh, vague in Scripture, something that's undefined, because uh, we would see it, I would see it as exegetically defined and clear. Uh, Ephesians 2. We were dead, right? Not terminally ill, but we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And Paul says, which you formerly walked according to the course of the power of the air, uh, or, or this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Um, and he says of the spirit that is now uh, energuntos, um, energizing, right? The sons of disobedience. So you actually have a spirit as a non-believer. You have a spirit that's energizing you. And of course, we have a spirit. The same. Uh, it's interesting, James. The same verb is used in Philippians uh, two twelve and thirteen, where it says God is in us. He he works in us. The same uh, energon. The same verb is used. He's now energizing us. But it says we were children of wrath by nature, not by choice. That's a very important, not by choice, but by nature. But because he's so rich in glory, we, we know that he made us alive. And 
this whole idea about being dead, um, spiritually dead, is repeated, particularly through the Apostle Paul. And if I can make one more point, um, not only uh, were we dead before we were saved, but I like what Paul says in, in Colossians 1, 21 and 22, because he said we were formerly uh, alienated, but also we were uh, ekthros. We were hate in hatred in our minds. Yeah. So... As we know, there is a, a noetic, which comes from a Greek word that means mind, noetic effect because of sin, meaning sin affects the mind of the non-believer, right? Yes. And this condition goes back to the garden. And if I can make uh, one more point to the, the, that last verse, um, when we talk about original sin, um, people automatically, I think, assume that original sin means um, the first sin, which was Technically, Eve did it, but Adam was blamed because he was her her headship, right? But it's not the doctrine of original sin is not really the first sin that was committed, but the effects of the first sin. That's right. And that sin, imputed sin, that's been transferred to every single person. And um, what age is it transferred? Is it thirteen or is it twelve? At conception. <laughs> At conception, right? At conception. Total depravity, um, depravus in the Latin, literally means totally crooked, right? It means totally bad. Uh, and we know we don't mean utter, utterly depraved, as bad as you can possibly be, but we mean from start to finish, from head to toe, we are completely depraved and have no ability um, to change our natures. And it's not a choice. It, it's right. actually, as we'll see in the text, it's actually a nature, so or issue of nature. We are dead in our sin, a slave to sin. Thus, total inability is a biblical doctrine. Yes, absolutely. And I, I'll tell you where it, where it really fleshes itself out in, in a pastoral sense, especially for us, is many people come when they start thinking about total depravity and they say, what do you mean? I can't, that, 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 that you're saying that there's no way that a, a lost person can do anything that's good. Like you said, feed the homeless or take care of their grandmother or open the door for a, a lady or, or what have you. Um, of course these things can be done. But as we know, the righteous works of man, uh, obedience to any sense of the law, which is a whole nother conversation, what that actually is and is not. But any obedience, like, for example, if you have the opportunity to lie or to not lie um, in, your, right. in your free agency, in your ability to, to, to make that choice, you may choose to tell the truth. But it doesn't mean that you are righteous in that truth telling. And it surely has no warrant or merit toward any type of pleasure to the eyes of God for that person specifically and especially or explicitly be a better word uh, to that person's justification or their salvation or redemption because just as Jesus talks about the slave that works very hard in the field and he works all day and he's tired he said do you come in after the long day with the slave working in the field and and say to the slave the, does the master say to the slave come sit with me at the table and put your feet up no he says slave where's my supper so basically what Jesus is trying to say there is that, you know, when we find obedience or some type of good behavior or moral standard uh, being adhered to in the world, it's not righteousness. And it doesn't bring us to God. As a matter of fact, Paul teaches in Romans 7 and 8 that there is no work whatsoever of the flesh that could ever bring any sense of justification to any particular one. As a matter of fact, part of setting the mind on the flesh, which brings death, 
is to think that we can do something about our state before God. And that's that's why this is really important because a lot of people argue, well, I don't have the – you mean everything I do is evil? No. But you said it well, brother, is that it says – you know, you said something like this, that depravity and total inability means we do not have the ability to not sin. So though we may not be sinning this very moment, sin will come. And even though we have, even though we may not sin, a lot of you, you made, you know, we made the statement about conception. A lot of people talk about this age of accountability, or age of this, or age of that. And you know, every confession that's worth its salt in in history, and according to the Scripture, which is what's authoritative, the Bible teaches that all humanity are indeed guilty before God before they ever do anything right or wrong. So before we, or before I ever sinned in my flesh, I was still guilty of being a sinner because my depravity so, and the nature of my depravity was is imputed to me through Adam. So let me ask you a question then. Are you saying that even if you committed no sins in your life, you still wouldn't make it to the heavenly gates? You will be justly condemned eternally by God the righteous. Because we are sinful and guilty before God, even if we are not perp- are personally sinning. Mm, thank God for the, the the substitutionary life of Christ on our behalf. Absolutely, you know. Absolutely, you made a good point about the um, about good works. Um, good works before man, as we see a lot of non-believers do good works before man. You know, you look at the Roman Catholic Church, the Mormons, and and all kinds of uh, atheistic religious groups, as I call them. But in um, Proverbs 15.8, God says the sacrifice of the wicked, the non-saved, is an abomination to the Lord. That's that's what it says. Yeah. So the more works you do as a non-believer, the more you're you're really stocking up on abomination. The more it's, it's the more abomination it is. I would tell you, look, don't do any works, Mister Roman Catholic or Mormon. Stay home because it's worse for you. Every time you do good works, it's yes, worse. That's right. That's right. Yeah, David. David cries out after his infamous adultery and lust and uh, you know deceit and murder and trying to be the hero he cries out after nathan tells him that he is the one who has sinned Mm. against the word of god he says in psalm 51 5 and 6 behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me behold you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart we know that the conclusion of david that by the holy spirit he realized that there was nothing good in him so sin then and being fallen or depraved is not a matter of what we do. It's a state of who we are. We are morally right. and spiritually depraved as right. innately, innately. So mm. That's a very good point. Um, and I think a lot of Christians don't have that conception biblically that, that – um, they were sinful before they came into this earth at their, right. in their mother's womb. They were, they were imputed with the sin of Adam. And I, I see a triple imputation there. I see the, the imputation of, of sin to our account uh, at conception. And then when we put our faith in Christ, our sins imputed to the cross and the righteousness of Christ yes. is imputed to us. It's a beautiful doctrine. 
So I'd like to, I think we should, um, in the short time that we have, look at some of the um, biblical data that, that affirm total inability, which means a non-believer, someone who's not made alive, has no ability. We're not talking choice. The choices follow his nature. We're not talking choice. Or the choice follows that um, how he is inherently. But we're talking about the ability to make a good choice because he doesn't want to. Now, in terms, and I think it should be mentioned too, and of course, this would be another show that classic Arminianism, of course, with Jacob Arminius, you know, he believed in total inability or total depravity, but of course, he believed in pervenient grace, right? right. That's, uh, That's right. Because he couldn't deny the passages, so they had to put another spin on it. But um, we do not see uh, pervenient grace as uh, as a biblical doctrine. I don't at all. Right. But um, uh, I think a lot of people s- assume that all Arminians do not hold to total inability. Well, Wesley did, and Jacobus Arminius, and many uh, Arminians actually do. But they have to do it in light of pervenient grace. Right. Okay. And I call that, I call well, that brother a, a theological philosophy you know and it's sort of it's sort of like this people go well you know we can believe in original sin and you're just coming up with a philosophy that that means he's unable to affect any change in his in his condition or his state or his choices for toward god and toward his righteousness but the bible explicitly i think that's what we're about to get into the bible not only teaches original sin but because of the original sin of humanity we are totally depraved thus we have total inability and i'll let you i'll let you go from there yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, of course, they would have to reconcile the passages that plainly say we are dead. We are slaves yes. to sin. We That's are right. dead. We are slaves. A slave is not free. That's correct. A slave is not free. Now, I, I jotted down a few important passages that kind of actually come to my mind is, of course, in John, yes, uh, John, John 6 and John 8, mm-hmm. and also in Romans, um, in Romans 3. And uh, Romans 8, there's a very powerful set of passages there. And, of course, we already went through Ephesians 2, which says clearly we're dead. And I think those, along with, you know, there's so many passages, Colossians 2.13, which we already uh, went through about we're we're hostile in our mind, not by choice. But I think um, to start with, um, let's go to the words of of Christ himself. And... um, I norm when anytime I go to um, and you can tell me your thoughts anytime I go and and um, speak about John six forty four of course it's in light of John six thirty five and thirty six or seven thirty eight I mean it's the right. same group you know all that the Father gives will come right. um, same group right and uh, whoever comes to me I'll cer- certainly not um, uh, ume ek below exo I will certainly not cast out beautiful passage and. Um, we, we can do an hour on those. But when we get to John 6, 44, here Jesus employ, employs, um, which, which I see as a universal negative, when he says, no one can come to me. He doesn't say, um, you know, some, all, some kinds, but he literally says, um, no one is able to come to me unless the Father draws him. And what's very interesting about this passage, and I want, you, want everyone to remember a particular verb, when Jesus says, um, uh, no one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ues, that's where the, the, where the 
compound word is udes, no one. The, the next verb is dunatai, which is from dunamai. Um, no one has the ability. The, the word ha- has to do with ability. Yes. Dunamai. It has to do with ability um, in terms of its uh, uh, linguistic value. No one has the ability. That's how it reads literally to come to me unless the father draws him. And we'll talk about draw in a, in a second, but, um, what's, what should be mentally noted is this word, or you can write it down, uh, because Paul uses the same verb and Jesus uses it elsewhere to show the inability of man. Um, this phrase, Ooh, which means no. And then dunamai, no ability is used quite a number of times in a salvation context, in a context of coming to him. And here literally no one has the ability to come to me lest the father draws him. Yeah. So I think this is a, uh, a very good passage that, you know, in light of, the entire thing that speaks of, uh, of total ability here, um, especially in light of what the actual, um, not only dunamai or dunamai, but the, the word draw, and you can expand on that, what, what the word draw means there. What does it say right after Jesus says, says, um, no one can come to me unless the father, um, unless the father who sent me draws him. People always forget the last phrase right. and I'll, I will, will rise him up and yeah, right. I yeah. will raise him up the last day. So if you're going to say, here's what a lot of Armenians would say that, yeah, everyone's drawn. No. Well, first of all, that's not how the word is used. That's correct. Uh, Hel- Helco, the word for draw, but he says, I will raise him up in the last day. So if you're going to say this is everyone who is drawn, I would say, congratulations, you're a universalist. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. That's right. You're a universalist. And you will be um, raised to life. <laughs> it, it, and that, is that not what he says in John? Yes. It's the same group Any, in John all 639. All drawn will be raised. All. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, what's really interesting, James, you, you know, my feelings on the message Bible and other very weak translations. And of course, translations are judged on, on, on passages and words, not on the totality of a translation. Right. Um, the message, which is basically uh, a paraphrase and it's a poorly done paraphrase, even though they say they draw from the original languages. I do like how, I don't know if you've seen it, how the message Bible actually um, translates John six I'll read it to you. It was really okay. interesting. It says, the father who sent me is in charge. He draws people to me. That's the only way you'll ever come. Right, right. I mean, doesn't <laughs> the, doesn't the uh, that, that's crazy that even the, 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 the bad paraphrase gets the doctrine gets the theology correct now the verb there um in in drawing you made mention to it i thought you were going to mention it but you know i I am under the opinion uh and i I don't have it in front of me to say but i have always in my memory and i haven't looked at this in many years thought that the word um and i think it's on the lexical form of maybe helco or something of that nature Uh and um it means to forcibly drag um, if I, if I'm not mistaken or to, you know, to drag in, to draw in, to yeah, pull, that, forcibly pull. So that's, now, <laughs> that's, that's how a, I teach that. And so if I'm wrong, I probably should be corrected. <laughs> no, no, actually the, the, the response to John six forty four is the drawing is a wooing. 
It's not a forcible drag. No. Okay, that's the response. I draw but water. I don't look, coax it out of the well. I pull it up by force from the uh, exactly. From the yeah. When we look at the the the, the lex, lexical semantics of how it's used eight times in the New Testament, lexically, um, yeah. I'll give you some examples. Uh, Lawanita, standard lexicon. Um, to, it defines helco as this: to drag or pull by physical force, often implying resistance. To drag, to lead by force. Yeah. How about Kettle's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament? A very standard scholarly work mm-hmm. on the New Testament, right. um, which says helco in John six forty four means to compel by irresistible authority. Yeah. It was used in classical Greek, Greek for drawing water from a well. That's where they get the argument, yeah. drying well, water from the well. That's right. But you, you're, you don't woo the water, no. you know. You, mm. And also, we don't look at a classical definition for Koine Greek. But if you look, and here's my, here's my argument. And as you know, you know, words are defined by context and New Testament usage. Right. There's, and I've only gave you a, a couple lexical support or um, um, lexical definitions because others imply the same thing, whether it's Thayer, Moulton Milligan, Liddell and Scott, um, Bedag, and so on and so forth. But let's look at how it's used in the New Testament. It's only used eight times. Um, in John twelve thirty two. If I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Now, this is the Armenian favorite. We'll come back to that. <clears throat> John 18.10. Yeah. Uh, Simon Peter, then having a sword, drew it. Draw, drew it and struck right. the high priest slave. He snatched off his ear. it out you see, of its sheath. You see the force. Yes. In, in um, what else? John 21.6. 21, yeah. Cast your net. You know, they cast a net and, um, and they were not able to drag it in because a great number of fish. That's hardly a woo. John twenty one eleven, uh, Peter went up and drew the net or dragged the net to land right. full of large fish. Right. Uh, let's see, in Acts, Acts sixteen nineteen, Paul and Silas were dragged into the marketplace, right? Yes. They dragged them into the marketplace. That's yes. what it reads. They, didn't show, the them a, they didn't show them a donut and have them come and eat it. And <laughs> Yeah. Not at all. And at, uh, let's see, two more plays, Acts twenty one thirty, when it said, taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. And James two six, is it not, um, um, is it not the rich who oppose you and personally drag you in court? Here's the here's the issue. Each time, the force is immovable yes. and definite. The force, the lexical semantic force of Helco, cannot be denied in the New Testament, and. Again, the verb is used eight times in each time. Now, just a short word on 1232. You know, if I, if the son of man is lifted up, I'll draw him into myself, right? What does that mean? Well, first, the obvious, it never drew, you know, um, Adolf Hitler to the cross. It never drew um, Muslims. To, it's not drawing them. So you right. can't say this is some kind of supernatural drawing. It's just not happening there. Yeah. But in context, the context of John 12 narrates, as we know, the final events of Jesus' um, public ministry, right? Yep. And after this, the Lord, he goes into private ministry with his disciples. Okay, that's chapter 12. In the final words of the Lord, of Christ, in verses, uh, I think, 12 and 20, right, 12 through 20, it prompted the Gentiles, we read, to seek after Christ. Now, this is a very important turn of events for now. Mm-hmm. The non-Jews are seeking after him in verse 20. 
before everyone, the Jews were, right? 12 following. But now in verse 20, the, not, the non-Jews, the Greeks were seeking after him. And then in verse 23, we read that Jesus was reformed of, uh, informed of this, right? They yeah. told him about the Greeks seeking him. And he said this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this is the context of verse 32, the, the, the Greeks seeking after him. Thus, the all men refers to not just the Jews, but Jews and Gentiles, all men. And again, the all men in its proper context does not indicate every single person will be somehow half drawn where they can resist. Yeah. Right. As Paul says, you know, the Jews to the Jews, it was a stumbling block and the, to the Gentiles, it was foolishness. So certainly the drawing there is, is the same kind of drawing in John six forty four and all the other places in the new Testament. He draws and saves from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's yes. exactly what John is talking about, you know. And we, we and, talk um, about that, uh, the all, for our listeners, for those of you who want to get a little more detail on what how we use the word all and how the, how the New Testament uses it, you can go back and listen to a couple of our uh, podcasts, one on, uh, what was the one we did there uh, that we dealt with that, some on the Second uh, Peter 3, 9. We dealt with the all yes, passages yes. there, and we did that in two different weeks. So you might want to listen to both hours. Um, and if you have other questions, you know, related to what we're talking about, please let us know at uh, theologyanswers.com. Anyway, go ahead, brother. Good stuff. And um, and then you know, so John six, I think, is irre- irrefutable. No one has the ability to come to me, and whoever comes to me, that's us. Yeah. He promises, just like in verse thirty nine, I will raise him up at the last day. Exactly what he says in John six six thirty nine. Exactly, yeah. and um, and we again remember that verb dunamai which means ability. Right. Um, if anyone wants to have the spelling, who's listening, it's, it's spelled in English, uh, D-U-N, as in Nancy, A-M-A-I. Uh, That's the, the basic form of the verb, can, uh, ability. And John 8, teaches Jesus teaches that all um, uh, who do not belong to God are, are slaves to sin. And, of That's course, right. a slave is opposite and free. So when these people say freedom of will and all these things, which is philosophical, Jesus refutes that by saying, no, you're a slave before you were saved. Right? Yeah. You're a slave. Um, and um, in John, uh, I think, yeah, 843, he, he flat out says, why don't you understand what I'm saying? He asks it rhetorical, rhetorically. And he answers... Because you cannot, or you have no uh, dunamai, you have no ability to hear these words. They cannot hear. All men share this inability. They cannot come to Christ because they're dead in their sins. That's right. That's right. And it it partners with John 8. It partners with, and it's funny because if we read the text of John 7 and 8, we see that Nicodemus is among the Jews at the time. We know that Jesus has already told Nicodemus in John 3 that, you cannot see nor enter into what? Into the kingdom, nor can you come into the light unless you've been born of God. And so in John in, in John chapter eight, when he, at, at the end of what you're talking about there in verse forty seven, you do not hear because you were not of God. See, you are of the flesh, you were dead, you were unable, you cannot bear to hear my word because my word is not in you, because you are not of God. So, see, there's no there's no work of man whereby he can implant the word of God and choose to come to a place of repentance or a place of faith. Um, 
which is why, and we've talked about the sinner's prayer and, and other things too, brother. Uh, it's why that, that these things have been invented by unregenerate evangelists to get a response. And people who come to faith through these means, they've not been regenerated. They've just come to a false hope. And uh, it's, a, it's a very dangerous situation. I mean, you and I aren't doing this podcast for the sake of hearing our own voices. We, we talk enough on the phone without having to record it. Um, you know, we could just do that without the work. But we do this so not because we can be esteemed as these right theologians and, you know, these great, quote, men of God who just have all the answers. We do this because we care. We talked about this earlier tonight. We care about people who are confused and lost and people who are who are the sheep of Christ who are continually being inundated with false doctrine and poor doctrine. And we want to help contextually and expositionally express what the Bible shows us in its context. And you don't have to be a Greek scholar. Greek does help. But you don't have to know dunamai in order to get drawn out just in the I, I use right. the common use of the word as if we drew water out of a well, which is how we do a proper hermeneutic. Um, he's not talking about drawing a picture. Um, draw if the Father drags forcefully these people to me and gives them to me. See, that's the point. God is dragging them from death. What is the, What are some other illustrations there? He snatched us out of darkness. He transferred mm. us out of death. He's transferred us out of the domain of darkness into the light of his Son. So everywhere you look, even in Ephesians 2, what does it say? We were dead in our trespasses, but God, because of his rich mercy, because of his mercy and uh, the love with which he loved us, made us alive again. Who is the one who is doing the action there? It is God. The Scripture holistically and contextually teaches that if God did not move supernaturally and authoritatively and sovereignly, that no man would come to faith. And when he does show himself to be the mover and the author and finisher of salvation, he does so by force. He does so in some mm. sense that, like I know we've mentioned Romans seven, uh, Romans eight, excuse me, verse seven. You know, the sinful mind is hostile to God; it hates God. Right. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot. So, in view there, and I taught on this this past Wednesday or last week. So, for those of you who listen to the podcast, it's 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 the first week of November. Go back and look at reading of Romans week. Week 40 at gracetruth.org, I taught on Romans 7 and Romans 8 specifically of this past week because we have a tendency when we see people talking about fleshliness and sinful mind, we think about the gross and the disgusting and the debauched sins and the wicked evil that the world, you know, that, that some of us have been involved with. Um, but that's not what's in view in Paul's teaching here. He's talking about the hidden sin of covetousness as his own example that no one has ever seen. And he's talking in reference to the moral righteousness of the Pharisees and the Jews whose works do not help them in the economy of righteousness. But only Christ can help them in the economy of grace. So they're, they're, they're spiritually bankrupt. And as, as long as they continue to put their mind and focus on what they've done to come to warrant, grant, or accept and receive salvation, that is the mind that is hostile to God. And it cannot, I used this in the teaching the other night, 
it cannot submit to God's law, though it tries to and strives to. And in some sense, from our perspective, you and I would look at people and say, look at there, that's a moral person. They're obeying the Lord. But God says, and it goes back to our very first point that we made when we started the podcast tonight. God says, you're not submitting to my law because the only way to submit to the law of God in the sense of redemption is faith in Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law in perfect obedience and who fulfilled the righteousness of God through his death on the cross and proved mm-hmm. himself to be a holy, perfect man and truly God because God raised him from the dead. And, good, and, that, and that's what we're at. That's what we're doing tonight uh, for our listeners, that they may be encouraged to understand that their hope does not rest in their ability but if it were not for God, you and I, what was it that we talked You want to tell, let, let's tell everyone, you know, we, we were we were lamenting and almost, I, it made me sort of ill to my stomach for a few minutes to think about it. If God had not worked in our hearts and transformed us into believers, we would be apologists for lies in the cults. Because we, with 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 my nature and with Eddie, with your desire to learn and study, we'd have found something to hang on to. We 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 yes. would have become scholars in something, <laughs> and uh, praise the Lord for His mercy that we might proclaim it to yes. us. Praise God. You Amen. made a, you made a really good you made a really good point on on this stuff that we're saying. Um, the the you don't you don't have to be a Greek scholar. You don't have to know Greek. Um, I think Greek can amplify some of these passages, but I mean, linguistically between cannot and udunamai, I mean, there's really no, you know, no flavorful difference here. Cannot is not the same as choose not. And Jesus said, it's because you cannot udunamai, cannot hear my word. They have no ability as, as not choose not, but cannot. I like the next verse because he expresses the very nature of the unsaved man um, about which he is talking, right? In 844, the next verse, after he says, you can't hear my word, he says, you, now this is just, this is not only the Pharisees. This is not only the religious leaders and so on and so forth. I've heard an Armenian try to say, well, that was the Jews. That's not for us today, for the non-believers today. Okay, that's nonsense. Jesus says, you are of your father uh, to Diabolu, you know, the devil. You are right. your father to the devil. Then it says, I love the literal rending of this. It says literally, say, you are the father, you, you, you are of your father, the devil. And the epithumeus, the, the, the lust, translated lust, um, your desire that's focused, your lust of your father, you thaleta, you will, will. to do. Yes. Now listen to that, that in, in the, the literal rendering, the, the lust of your father, you will to do. You want to do, so you, now you will this naturally. You don't will this because you just, you know, you don't like God and, and, uh, or some other reason. It doesn't matter if you're not saved, if you don't have the triune God, if you don't believe in justification through faith alone, you are in this category and your will is to do Satan's lust. That's what it says, right? That's Jesus said it. And it's similar to what Paul said in, uh, what was it? Second Timothy two, six or two, two, 26, 25. Um, 
225 and 26, I think specifically 26, he says the unsaved, dealing with the unsaved, they're held captive by the devil to do his will. Yes, that's right. Right? So the, the wills are naturally driven to do this, to do Satan's lust. That's, that's right. what Paul said. That's what Jesus said. And then he ends, um, or the final verse in verse 47, he sums it up. He who is not of God, any non-saved person. He who is of God, I'm sorry, he who is of God, hears the words of God. Yes. These are all saved people. We're of God, so we hear the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear him, right? You do not hear them, the words, because you are not of God. That's right. And I think those are tremendous passages. Um, the the And again, you know, for the sake of time, we're just going through a few, but you already mentioned Romans 7 and 8. The the part the part I like about Romans seven and, or Romans eight seven and eight is verse seven verse eight is now remember that verb we talked about dunamai uh, ability when he says when the apostle says because the mind set in the flesh is hostile toward God um, we know this grammatically this is a um, uh, the mind that's actually possessed by the flesh yeah. right sarcos the genitive there genitive of possession it's hostile it's an enemy toward god ethroi it's an enemy toward god it does not subject itself to the law of god then it says paul says and remember that verb that we've been seeing it's not even able dunamai it's not even able to do so the same term in john in john 8 the same term in john 6 44 that deals with the state of the unregenerate and then in verse 8 and those who are in the flesh ooh, dunamai no ability to please god but let me ask you james that person at the altar call before he does the sinner's prayer i mean before he invites Jesus in his heart, isn't he pleasing God by the mere fact he went forward? No. He, Paul says he can't. How, he can't. how is that possible? He can't Paul please God. Paul says the one... No, in yeah. the flesh, yeah. you can't please God. Yeah. We can please God because we're not in this category, That's right. uh, you know, possessed by the flesh. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just so definitive and riveting as to the state of the non-believer and Paul who who's um you might know him who's that guy James in Pittsburgh he's an evangelist I think his name is uh Eric and Jill they moved up there um he he witnesses to a lot of he shares his faith to a lot of uh Catholics because he used to be a Catholic I forgot his name but he's a part of Joe was part of Joe's church years ago but he's in Pittsburgh but he tells he, his opening line is to Roman Catholics. He says, "Hey, did you know there's two nuns in Romans in Romans three in the Bible mentions two nuns, <laughs> and they're all really." And then he says, "Yeah, there's none who understand. There's none who seek after God." That's right. That is good. <laughs> and that's what Paul says. And dealing with the guy, this this whole ideology that it's self determination. Paul says, "There's none righteous, not even one." In an unsafe state, there's nobody righteous. There's yeah. none who understand. And I like, I like, I love this verb. It's participle. There's no one who is seeking for God. Exatone. Nobody's seeking for God. So when you go to that Calvary Chapel, you know, Harvest Crusade, and you hear the revivalists, and, and, and I've heard him on the radio before. That's why I said that years ago. And he says, you may be searching for God. Well, no, you're not. No. Unless you're a saved person. 
Because unsaved people, Paul says, if you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, Paul says there's none exatone who are seeking after God, not, not one. I love that whole set of passages. What is, I think it ends around 18. What Paul does, he, he, uh, he just grabs like these passages from Psalm 14, 53, and then he goes to Isaiah, then he goes back to Psalm, all from the Septuagint. And he's just in a state of ecstasy in, the, in terms of just being moved by the Holy Spirit to write about the, 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 the uh, depravity of man. Yeah. It's beautiful what he does in, in, Romans, um, in Romans 3, 10 through 12, 10 through 18, actually. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, I know that when we when we look at this topic a little bit, I can sort of feel that some people will say, "Well, you know, well, well, I have come to believe this is something that I've done." Now, first and foremost, we need to recognize that believing is not an action of walking an aisle or saying a prayer. Prayers and walks and decisions don't save anybody. We've done a podcast on that about altar calls. It was one of the very first ones we've done. You can go to theologyanswers.com and you can see it there. Um, and but but what we need to recognize, and what you need to recognize as listeners, is that the Bible is showing us in this total inability, total depravity thing. When we're talking, we're not talking about a moral choice of good. We're talking about an effectual choice or an effectual move toward redemption moreover than anything. And so when we look at the word of God, Jesus says that you can't hear, you can't believe. Paul says you cannot seek and no one does except you're born again. And a lot of times people come to, and this is not really what we're going to talk about today, but I think it's fitting for this uh, just a second. People think that the gospel, or we're, we're taught in a culture that the gospel is an offer that we share with people and hopefully they'll accept it. But the Bible says that the gospel is a proclamation of what God has done to redeem his people and to save them from their sins. And I get this all the time, even though, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't teach Calvinism. You know, Calvinism is definitely a big part of, of Protestant theology historically, etc. But I teach scripture and Calvinism adheres to scripture in a lot of areas. So because of that, I get, I get a lot of people who come to me. Well, you just teach this, you teach that, you know, you're teaching all sorts of things and they, and they say things that aren't necessarily true about the theology. And it's certainly not true about scripture, but sometimes they come to the place where they do see what is they do say something that that the scripture does say such as you mean god only sent christ to die for his elect people and i say yes because the scripture teaches that jesus specifically and explicitly this is the gospel that jesus preaches in john 6 this is this is the good news that jesus tells them this is effectual unto their salvation but they cannot receive it they cannot receive it and so many people reject this. Um, and Jesus would say, well, the word of God is not in you because you are not of God, because you can't bear to hear my word. In other words, Jesus would say to these types of people, well, you cannot believe these things. That's why you're confused. Though you may be the teacher of all Israel, Nicodemus, you marvel at me saying you must be born again. You marvel at me saying that God, the Holy Spirit, must do a work in you to to 
prepare you to see what God has done to make you righteous apart from you. See, that's the gospel. God has made us righteous apart from us, apart from our effort, apart from our choices, apart from our will. Because if he didn't, we would all still be dead in our sins because we don't have the ability to do anything to be righteous. We don't even have the ability to believe that God has made us righteous. And and that's what the gospel is. And that's why this is such an important doctrine, because it is a it is the glue uh, or it's the mix. It's in the dough. It's in the dough of the gospel of grace. It's a good point. Uh, point you made. We don't have the ability to believe. That's why, um, which comes to mind, it's a Philippians one twenty nine says, not only did he give you, he he granted you the 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 ability. I I can remember some passages more from a, a, a Greek literal sense that I can in the English translation. But he gave you the ability not only to believe but to suffer for his sake. Um, the ability to believe, right? He, yeah. he granted this to you. But what's interesting is um, uh, the verb there, um, granted, it's Paul's one of Paul's favorite words for forgiveness. Isn't that interesting? Um, charizomai. Notice the first part of the word, to show favor, to freely give, right? Grace. Charis. I mean, that, that's, the, that, that's where the verb is from. So it's by a grace gift... Right, a grace gift that he uh, gave you the ability to believe. It's a grace gift, and we can't take that lightly. It's it's of him alone. It's by grace alone that we have the ability. We were dead in our sins. We were we were helpless sinners and enemies of God, says Paul. But he reconciled us at that point and made us alive because of his grace gift. Amen. Amen. Well, what? Uh, we, we, wow, we were thinking we were going to be able to um, do this quickly and. Maybe even do another podcast tonight <laughs> for next week, but uh, it looks like we have again um, spent some time on this, and here we are at the hour mark almost. Um, what are some things that we still need to look at before we before we sign off? Um, you know, if I think um, on this issue, aside from the passage we gave, I, I really think of Christians, um, which is so edifying. I know for me, it, it, it is that, that Philippians one twenty nine in the context of God's grace given to us before we were saved, because he could have left, he could have passed us over, right? But for his sake, it, it was granted not only to believe, but to suffer for his sake. And one more point I want to make. Um, now, James, you said that God drags us. And we're looking at the lexical uh, meaning, the lexical semantics of that word helco. Right. Now, does that mean he, he drags us and we don't want to go, we're kicking and screaming? Or, or what does that mean, he drags us? Because that's the lexical meaning. So what does that mean? I yeah. don't want to go and he's just forcing me to be saved? <laughs> well, here, here's how the scripture, here's how the scripture would do that. You know, in John 3, we'll just use some of the things that, you know, John 3 um, he talks about the judgment at the end of that, you know, in the midst of that discourse with Nicodemus where we have the, the very famous passage of God love the world. Um, you know, for those who believe, the believing ones have everlasting life. Those who are the non-believing ones are condemned already because they're not believing in the only son. And then Jesus says, this is the judgment. And he says that, 
the light himself, the truth of God and redemption, the revelation of the perfection of God's righteousness manifested through the gospel and the cross of Christ is in the world, but the what? But the, the, the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil and they will not come to the darkness because they do not want their works to be exposed. There's two things I have to say about that. First, that's the condition of the natural man. We don't love the grace of God in redemption. We don't love it. And secondly, not only is it our evil deeds, but it's also our self-righteous deeds that we don't want light shined upon. When we love the grace alone of God for salvation, we 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 have we are not in our natural state. So it says, but those who come to the light, those who what practice truth, they do so so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And the the you know some older texts say wrought in God. So here the deeds of coming to Christ in salvation and I use that term very loosely, the deeds of believing on Christ for salvation, the deed of, of, of understanding and receiving the truth of the gospel and thus coming to God through Christ Jesus is a work of God. So God, in regeneration, restores our rightness before Him. And the response of that is faith in Jesus Christ. So God doesn't drag us kicking and screaming, but in an instant, in a snap, an, a, 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 a supernatural <laughs> pulse, God transforms us from death to life, from blindness to sight. And faith is a gift that is given through the new mind, through the new nature of that new regenerate heart and mind. And though we still labor in the body of death, we are new creatures in Christ. So we come. Yes, God saves us by powerful, sovereign force. But we believe and love Him because we've been made to see Him. And that is something, so that, is, that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. So the dragging would be tantamount to an irresistible grace. Absolutely. And the drag, and when we're dragged, irresistibly we we come to him as says christ in john 6 um we we willingly glow we willingly glow uh, go because we've been made alive that's right so the dragging just indicates the irresistibility of grace and jesus says right. um everyone who comes to me uh hexe they will all the ones that the father gives to me i'm sorry they will hexe it's a future indicative they will come Thus, the irresistible grace. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Romans 10, I was found of them that did not seek me. And I was made mm. manifest unto them that did not ask for me. And so God has called and, <laughs> and made alive and granted repentance. And he... What is it, Psalm? I think it might be Psalm 1. It's not Psalm 100. Somewhere in the Psalms, it says, you know, that that people, my people shall be willing in the day of my power. And the mm -hmm. power of God for salvation is that he makes his people willing. They're no longer dead. 
And you know what? Those who he makes alive will always believe. It is the fruit of the work of redemption. It is the fruit of the work of repentance. It is the fruit of the gift of God. And I was going to close the show with this anyways because it's so frustrating sometimes because unbelievers and, oh, you know, just weak believers and <laughs> false believers, they get so frustrated when they hear this teaching. Well, what if I'm not of the elect? Or what if I'm, you know, what if, what if this? What if that? What if this? You know, that's just not the God I know. I hear that a lot. But right. John 1, that those who were born were born not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the mind, but the will of God. And this mm. is absolutely, to me, a great response to the negative things that come from teaching the gospel of sovereign and particular redemption. That God will, as, as he promised in the Old Testament... He will give us a new heart, and He will take away the heart of stone and put in a place a heart of flesh, and we will see and love Him. And so that is um, sort of something that I think people need to, to rest in, that it is not about how much you believe. It is not about how much you obey. It is not about the things that you've done in order to believe. It is all about God who wills and works for His good pleasure. Um, for those whom Christ has died, and that you can you can take it beyond the bank, you can take it to an absolute certainty that God has redeemed you, and it's not about you. So, mm, good, good, good stuff. The Lord is so faithful. The Lord is faithful. Mm. Well, I tell you, there's a question on the table that um, that we talked about last week, brother. Uh, related to this topic because I hear a lot of people we'll set this up and we'll do this podcast next week Lord willing uh, people say oh well if we're totally depraved then I guess I'm just a wicked wretch as a Christian and there's no hope for me to ever walk in a manner worthy of the gospel etc I'm just an evil person and God just out of pity just puts up with you know I, and I'm going on and on and on we're not going to deal with the doctrine of sin but I hear that a lot, and so I think we would we can do a show next time about now that we are born again, we as Christians, mm. what does that do to the total inability? We know what it does from the sense of being saved. We are able to respond by faith. That's a, that's a given. But what does it do to the flesh? What does redemption do to the flesh in regard to total depravity? And so I think that'd be a good one for us to talk about. Isn't that what we isn't that what yeah. we discussed earlier in the week? Okay, good. So, we, yeah, we talked about that. And then um, I think since you have so many questions that people give you, I think that would be a great um, talk. You know, to go through some of the questions that we get, you get tons of them. I get I get very interesting questions on theology and different um, potential paradoxes and, and or apparent paradox doxes and um, different textual issues. I think uh, a question and answer would be great. Okay. Well, we'll set those up for the weeks to come. And if you are listening and you made it all the way through, Lord bless you. We are glad that you partner with us with your time. And uh, if you ever decide to partner with us in other ways, please go to 
Um, go to TheologyAnswers.com, and you can see other ways in which you can help us. Uh, you can also ask questions, share this podcast. Most of all, pray for this ministry because this is something that Edward and I do. Uh, we've been friends a long time. We've served in ministry together for a long time, but we, we have the same heartbeat when it comes to trying to help people understand the truth of God's Word. And there are there are too many people to be taught for just he and I to be able to handle. So there are a lot of other brothers in the world that are doing the same type thing. Uh, We're not the experts. We just happen to have your ear, and we thank you for it. So please share this podcast with others, uh, and, and by all means, be in prayer for what we do, that the Lord's Word, as we teach and continue to instruct and admonish, that God would do that which He sent it to do. And, of course, we are part of the Christian Podcast Community. You can see other podcasts that are similar to ours at ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. And, of course, Edward blogs and writes and publishes over at ChristianDefense.org. And my website is AnchoringFaith.org. We love you. We're glad that you have stayed with us. And we look forward to hearing from you very soon.